Okay, let's uh, turn to Romans to begin with. Romans chapter 9, verse 3, Paul says this. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. So Paul had this heart for those who were his countrymen, those of the Jews, who this is implying and saying, actually, that those of his countrymen rejected Christ. That's where the Jews were at that time for the, for the most part. <clears throat> they rejected Christ just like we see today in the world. So many that we maybe work around, neighbors, acquaintances, people we know, even relatives who don't know Christ, they have rejected Christ in their heart. And they may be in religion, they may have gone to church all their lives, but yet in their heart they reject Christ and the gospel that he brings. Now hold your place there and turn to Hebrews. I am amazed many times whenever I think that the Lord came by personally for me and the gospel was ministered and I could have missed it, but somehow, some way, the Lord touched my heart to respond to him. And sometimes I, I think we don't remember when we came to the Lord or when he came to us. And we don't see how our lives could have gone and how blessed we are to be included in the commonwealth of Israel. All the wealth that the, the prophets and the apostles who were Jews, the commonwealth that they had, that we can be partakers of that. And, of course, initially all of us here have come to the Lord. We've come into the kingdom. But in Hebrews 12, verse 25, there's many things in the scriptures that warn us. You know, the New Testament, the epistles, written to whom? To Christians, to those who the Lord came uh, and they have responded to the Lord, and they start this walk with him. And there are many warnings that need to be heeded by individuals, their hearts, and so forth. So in verse 25, it says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. So he's talking about hearing the heavenly voice. Do you and I hear the heavenly voice? Do you and I respond to the Lord when he communicates to us. He may communicate to you through a still small voice. He may communicate to you through his word. You're reading and something, you stop and the Lord's showing you something and that very thing is related to you personally. And so he's communicating the heavenly voice, however that may come to you and I, various means uh, that God will use. But many times it will be through some type of word, however that may be for you, trying to communicate to us. So he says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape. Now he's talking to the Christians, and I believe he's relating to their forefathers who did not escape the judgment of God. 
the things that were coming in their lifetime. The Israelites who were in the wilderness, the things that they had to deal with and to, um, to walk through, uh, they didn't escape that which the Lord brought, and that was his judgment that they could not enter into the promised land. So now he's, I believe here, he's showing them that, and then he's relating that to where they are as Christians. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Now, what is the purpose? Now, there are many purposes, but as far as the context here, what is the purpose or what is he getting to here, the writer to Hebrews, when he's talking about hearing this voice? What is this voice saying? What is the purpose here for them? Let's read. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he's promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, or that can be shaken, as of that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we, received, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So the purpose behind the heavenly voice for the, these Christians he's talking about, and of course this applies to us, the purpose behind the heavenly voice and the reason why we are not to refuse him who speaks is so that the kingdom which we have received would be solid and would have a firm foundation in us so that when the shaking comes, he says, once more yet I will shake, so that when the shaking comes, that there is nothing in you and I that can be shaken. Now, this is contingent upon hearing the heavenly voice. See, there, if we hear the heavenly voice, or we hear what it is the Lord is dealing with us on a personal level, it always seems as though the Lord deals with us, if we're willing. So we go for a period of time, and things might be okay. And then something occurs, maybe in our study, in, in our life, something that we're doing, something we're not doing, whatever it may be, and the Lord will come as he does many times. And he's done that recently for me, and he's pointed certain things out in my life that he wants to change, that I cannot change myself, I have no power to change, but I believe by faith he can change that. So as the Lord speaks the heavenly voice, he communicates to you in whatever way that may be for your personal life, your walk with him. If we refuse that, then the building in us, that process is thwarted so that we cannot uh, be in a place where we won't be shaken. See, and we don't know if we will be shaken because maybe the shaking for us has not occurred. I believe that many things can shake us. And when the Lord says he's going to shake, 
not only the earth, but the heavens also. I don't know exactly what he's meaning, the full spectrum of that, but I do believe there's going to be a shaking here in this life for us. And so, what are we to do? We are to not refuse the heavenly voice. So back in Romans, Paul talks about, as we read, uh, Israel, his fellow uh, brethren, rejected Christ. And, and we see this actually today, as I said, with the world, people reject the Lord all the time. And then if you want to take that one step further, we can reject, even though we are Christians, we can reject the Lord in a certain way, in a certain thing. All of us. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how long we've been Christians. A certain thing can come to us, and we can reject the Lord in that, in that saying that, you know, I don't believe the Lord can do this in my life or through my life or whatever it may be, or I don't believe that's the right path. I don't believe this is going to produce anything of, of good and so forth. And we can refuse and reject him in that. So there's different, I guess you could say, different levels of rejection with people. And you see this with certain Christians. And as long as they're going their own way, things are fine, as far as they, they think. But whenever the Lord stands in the way, and the Lord does stand in the way, uh, just like with, with Balaam, the angel of the Lord stood in the way, was it with a, uh, with a, firing sword, a fiery sword, I think it was? He was standing in the way. And the Lord will stand in the way many times. And the only way to go and continue in the way the individual may want is to go around the Lord. And so we can refuse him who speaks. We can reject the purpose of God. Down in Romans uh, verse 8, Israel here rejected the purpose of God. See, he had, had a promise that he had for them, and they rejected that. Verse 8 says, and this is really something, that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So they reject the purpose of God, in that they became or they were the children of the flesh. So it doesn't matter even if, if a person's a Christian, they can reject, as he's saying here, the purpose of God by moving in the flesh. His purpose is that you would move in the spirit and be the correct seed he's looking for. But we can reject that and move in the flesh. And it seems as though, to me, that we can hear things all the time. All of us. We can read things all the time. But that's not necessarily a safeguard for us, if you know what I'm saying. Because, see, we must believe God. To enter, we must have faith in God. And so, here comes the Lord. And... He has a purpose here. And I want to show you something in a few minutes. And, and we see the Jews who rejected Christ, 
and they remained in a certain condition. And we know that. And even throughout the epistles, Paul points out certain who, who were actually a part of their body, uh, whether they had a relationship at, at some point, it seems as though they may have. But yet he points them out and he says that they are going a different way. And they reject this purpose of moving into this place where you are uh, walking with God. Instead, they are walking and moving in the flesh. Can a Christian move in the flesh? And we know the answer. The answer is yes. And there are those who do. Now, in, before we go to another scripture, let's just stay in Romans just for a minute here. In verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to the righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, or, or the righteousness by faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. So the Gentiles were justified by faith. Israel, who were the promised ones, God's chosen people, were rejected because... They looked to the law, and they tried to attain to the righteousness of the law instead of the righteousness, like Abraham, who they called their father, the righteousness by faith. And so there must be in us a looking toward the Lord. We must believe that he is the one who can do what he says he can do in our lives. Even though we may see our shortcomings, and I see some of my shortcomings, and I don't really like them. But see, I must look past that. I mean, I believe other people see our shortcomings. You know that. You know people see your shortcomings and where we lack. But many times, because of maybe the... the, um, the core of our being, who we are, you know, what we, what we were uh, born with. Because of that, we have certain things that are ingrained in us. And some of those things for us can be noticeable. But as I said, I must look past that to believe that God somehow, some way, is going to do something in my life to prepare me for him. I believe that. So they remained, the Jews, they remained in their current condition. Even Jesus, who they said, no man has ever spoken like him. Even Jesus, the Son of God, very God, could not move the Jews out of their current condition. Most of them he couldn't. Some of them he did. Most of them he couldn't. With a powerful words. It is something that is in man, I believe, that wants to stay where they are always, to stay in that. And so here you have somebody maybe that's 30, 40, 50 years old, and 
they've been in a certain mode of operation their entire life. I mean, they, they, I'm not necessarily saying about they get up and they make their coffee and eat their breakfast. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about in their heart, they are moving a certain way, a certain direction. And that is their condition, if you will. And the Lord wants to come many times and change that. Of course, he know, I know he wants to change it in those who, who don't know him. But even in the Christian the Lord wants to get in there sometimes and change their direction. Now, not, not necessarily because they may be going in some evil direction or evil way, but he might just want just a change there. He might want a, an adjustment. He wants to change something. Now, in the wilderness, th this is interesting, and I'll just draw this real crude map from memory. <laughs> Maybe my memory's not too good. But you know what the continent of Africa looks like. And the very top of the continent, and I said this is real crude, by the way. You have Egypt here, and then here's the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and then, then you have the area up here where you have Israel. And then you have another body of water down here. I don't know if that's the Red Sea. I believe it is, or maybe it's not. The Red Sea, and there's another gulf there somewhere. But anyway, here you have this area here, and this was the wilderness area. And over here was the border of uh, the Promised Land. So the Lord takes them out of Egypt here, and they get into this whole wilderness area here. And it's interesting that there's one little place, it's called Canish Barnea. And this place is as close to the promised land as you can get. As close as you can get without getting into the promised land. It's right there on the border. And then down here, along here, there's a bunch of mountains, a mountain range that goes down through this region. And the Lord took them in the wilderness, and I found out, I was just looking at this, I bumped into it by accident, actually, that the majority of their wanderings were in this area of Canish Barnea. And the Lord took them down around this mountain range and back up. And I don't know how many times that occurred. I mean, they were there 40 years. In this area is where they, they ended up spending their whole life moving around in the same thing. And so you and I... As the Lord deals with us something in our life, and let's say, I don't know what to use for an example, but let's just say there's something that has been there, ingrained in us, and that is something that's been there for a long period of time. Now we come to the Lord, and we're a Christian. And maybe we're walking with him for 10 or 15 years. Now he wants to deal with that particular thing in our life. And so circumstances come about in our life where the Lord now is going to deal with a specific thing there. And we don't let him. We don't let him. And what happens is maybe a year later, maybe three years later, maybe five years later, we'll make the whole circle again and the Lord will let us 
march around, and we'll come back to the same place, and the Lord will deal with that same thing again. Because I've been there, and the Lord's done that with me. And there are Christians who spend their entire life, just like the children of Israel, and they go round and round and round in circles. Now, they don't really know that. They probably don't see that. But they end up going around and around and around in the same circle all their life. Never allowing the Lord to bring a change and a victory from a certain thing in their life. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. When I looked this Canish Barnea up, this city up in um, one of the Bible dictionaries, it said the meaning of this was consecrate. When I saw that, I thought, that's what the Lord was trying to do with them. He was trying to consecrate them. He was trying to separate them. He was trying to make a holy nation. So for you and I, it's no different. We are to be moving ahead in the kingdom. And we may come to Canish Barnea, and that's okay. We may come to that many times in our life, if you understand what I'm saying. But see, the Lord does not want us to go around in a circle, to go around the mountain and end up in the same place. He wants us to continue on with him. So the Jews in John 6, Jesus says to them, you did not eat manna in the wilderness. Your fathers did not eat manna in the wilderness. And then he goes on and says, I am the bread of life. So he was trying to, to jog them, to, to, to shake them. Now remember, in John 6, you had... The multitudes, some of them, you had disciples, and then you had the apostles. You had, you had a, a large group of people there. The Sermon of the Mount, you know, this was a, a takeover from the Sermon of the Mount. They went where Jesus was. They followed Jesus. And so he's dealing with their hearts. He's dealing with them. You did not eat manna in the wilderness. I am the bread of life. So that if you refuse the heavenly voice, if you refuse that manna, Jesus, him, then you will not be fed, you will not have life, and you will not ever enter into the promised land, you will remain in Kadesh Barnea where God will continue to work and try to work with you and try to work with you. There are Christians who God spends years and years and years and years and years on trying to consecrate them, trying to separate them, trying to, to get them away from the world, trying to do something in them and Many times he's, he's unsuccessful. He can't consecrate them. And so you know what? I look at some of the things the Lord, in my life, how the Lord had to deal with me in certain things, and still does. And then you multiply that by everybody in the church here. And then you multiply that by everybody in the U.S., in Europe, and in the world. No wonder it talks about the only sin that cannot be forgiven is the sin against the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Spirit has his hands full with people. 
He does. People do not want to change. That is why it is so important for us to have a surrendered heart. Not initially, but always. See, because if we don't have a surrendered heart, we will miss out on what the Lord has in the kingdom. We, we will. It's not, see, it's not that the Lord says, I'm not going to let you have certain things in the kingdom. It's just that we, we can't have them. We, can't, we don't have the character or that which is needed within us to take certain things. We just don't have that capacity. Now turn to Hebrews 10. So whenever we refuse the heavenly voice, we frustrate the grace of God. We frustrate the purpose that God has for us. In Hebrews 10, verse 8, previously saying, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will of God, of God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. He's talking about the covenant. By that will we have been sanctified. Now look in verse 9 again. He's talking about Jesus. Behold, I have come to do your will. That's what Jesus said. In John we read that. That's what Jesus did. He came to do the Father's will. So when you go down to verse 10, by that will, what will is that? By the will of Jesus saying, I will do the will of the Father. By that will, his will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ. So Jesus sanctified himself for the benefit of you and I. And that, that's not the end of it. See, that's not the end of it. Turn to John 17. See, Jesus sanctified himself for you and I, and we are to sanctify ourselves for others. So that as Jesus was able to influence you, because he sanctified himself according to the will of the Father. You will be able to influence others because you sanctify yourselves. So in John 17, verse 19. Now remember, Jesus is praying here. He's praying for, for his current followers and on down the line to us. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And in this by the truth here, when I looked that up, the word by can be, be translated in the Greek. It can be through, it can be by, but many times it's translated in. And the word the is added by the translators. So this could read that you are sanctified in truth. In truth. Well, what truth is that? The truth that we hear? No. The truth that we know? No. The truth that we're sanctified in, I believe, is 
that which proceeds to us to our heart that we know is from the Lord. He's communicating to you and I in our spirit through his word or, or whatever. That as we respond to him in that which comes to us personally, then we are sanctified in the truth, in that truth, in him. We become sanctified not by hearing, not by knowing, but by believing him, we receive that truth. We receive that word. And remember, there, there must be faith without works is dead. There must be a corresponding action. That action may be something physical. It may be something in your heart where there is an action. You, you're receiving that. You're taking that. Now you're waiting for the release of that that word or or the fulfillment of that word may be out from you but nevertheless it's not just hearing the word we can hear the word every week 10 times a week we can come to church 10 times a week we can hear the word we can sit down and we can read the word that's not it just hearing it is not it so the word comes whenever that is for you something is quickened to you well see now that's something different now you must receive that and be sanctified in truth. That's how it's going to happen, not by hearing it. Now look in verse 17. He's praying, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now see, if Jesus is praying, sanctify them, then that means that it's not a completed thing. See, we are sanctified by the Lord, but yet there's a process of sanctification in our lives. And it's not a complete thing, or else Jesus wouldn't pray for that to occur. And he also here somewhere, let me see. Oh, okay, verse 19 again. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified. That's a subjunctive mood verb. That means it's possible that they may be sanctified. It doesn't mean that Jesus sanctified himself so that that would have an effect upon you and me. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to have the effect that the Lord wants. You understand? See, that we might be sanctified. So there's a process here that we must remain in. It will remain in that process our entire life. In Romans 3, it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we all have sinned. Every single man has sinned and come short of the glory of God. The purpose of God for you and I is his glory. Did you know that? The purpose of God for us is his glory. See, he wants to put his glory in you. That's his will. And that's his purpose. And to accomplish that, we'll take various things in our life. What does Paul say in Romans? He says that the sufferings of this present time, so see, he had circumstances, he had to suffer. What, what sufferings were you talking about? What he suffered when he was a Pharisee? No. The sufferings he's talking about were the things he had to deal with after he came to the Lord. The sufferings of this 
present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So, see, there is a, a deposit of the, the glory of God through the will and purpose of uh, things going on in Paul's life or your life. There is this glory that's being placed in, in degrees, I believe, in the heart and life of the Christian. He says they're not even worthy to be compared. So this is the will and purpose of God is to put his glory in Christian. But we can hinder that. And we, meaning not just us, any Christian, can stop that glory, that work, that process. What prepares you or another Christian for the marriage? Do you want to be part of of the bride of Christ. I believe every Christian or most Christians want that. What, what prepares you? The glory of God will prepare you. Now, there's other things too, but to put it in a nutshell, the glory of God will prepare you. Because Jesus said, uh, well, no, Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul says that he would present it to himself, meaning church, without spot or wrinkle uh, or, or any such thing, and that, they would, that the church would be a glorious church. See, there's the glory. So to present it to himself means that there is a glory there that has been placed in those who are willing and who go through certain processes because, you know, he is going to present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Now turn to 2 Corinthians. See, it's not about coming to the Lord and being saved and that's it. And I say this all the time. There will be a lot of Christians who make it to heaven. And they won't be able to partake of certain things. And the reason that is, is because there have been other interests in their lives. So that... During the time of preparation, whenever the Lord wanted to put his glory in them, their focus was the world. Their focus was money, making money. Uh, their focus, of course, was, as I said, riches. They may have wanted honor in this life. Jesus said to the Pharisees, and he rebuked them because they were interested in the, uh, the things, the honor of this life. I want to have the, the uppermost seats in the synagogue. That was in their heart. And see, if that is in the heart, and that is moving in the heart to possess that, then there won't be in the heart of the individual the desire to possess the Lord or the kingdom. And so here you have the rich young ruler. And he says, oh, I've done all these things, Jesus. What do I lack? Well, you're attached to riches. That's what you lack. And that lack in your life will cause you to not have the glory that God wants in your life. So in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror and a glass, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. And see... The condition here to go from one level of glory to another level of glory, the way the Lord has designed this, is that there must be in the heart 
a beholding the Lord, present participle, I'm sure, continually, presently, continually. See, so it, it doesn't matter, you know, oh, I'm a Christian, that's good. But that is not a qualifying factor for the glory of God. The qualifying factor is beholding the Lord, having faith in Him. The righteousness of God is revealed from this level of faith to this level of faith. In between, there's the righteousness of God that he's revealing there. So it's not just coming to the Lord, that's it, going to church, going to heaven. There's a lot more going on here. Paul lays it out in the epistles. There is so much more, but Christians seem to be oblivious to some of these things in the Bible. Oblivious to it. They just, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just they haven't been taught. You know, I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah, glory to God. I'm on my way to heaven. And that's what it's all about. No, it's not what it's all about. The kingdom is but much bigger than heaven. The, ki- the kingdom contains much more than what is in heaven. Now, some people won't believe that, but that's okay. Now, I'll close with this. I actually didn't progress where I wanted to go here, but that's okay. Turn to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, is that you? Are you called by his name? If you're called by his name, he has a purpose for you. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. He's interested in you being a container that carries his glory. That you can become a glorious church. But remember that Jesus will not marry flesh. He's not going to do that. He's going to marry his glory in the church or the one who contains his glory, meaning the elect. Plural, everyone. Who's prepared, by the way? That would be uh, feminine singular, the bride. That's who he's going to marry. And so it behooves us to allow the Lord to have his way in our life. You know, as I was saying, receiving the word, hearing it, receiving it, and whatever that may be, whatever he's, he's dealing with us, whatever issue it may be in us, Let him consecrate us. Let him work in our life so that we're not stuck in the wilderness all our life. We can can move on and press on to know the Lord and to have something of him in us, namely the glory that he wants, so that we become a part of that glorious church that he presents to himself. Wonderful promise. Wonderful promise. And so let us continue on with him.